everybody welcome back to your favorite comic response i was gonna say media but now it's wednesdays it's comics comics response show x is for show you can check us out at x is for show on all your social media i'm nico and you can check me out at nico action comics are media but i mean like it's specifically comic media yeah i get you like it's not it's not also games and like uh well sometimes it's games and it's not like i'm tk and i like to correct nico you can find me at tk (laughs) elemental Uh, and you can find me trying to find some sort of medium ground between the two and i'm your producer kevo really see that's another medium right i bet you didn't even realize that's another media right there okay so now you know tk who else is a medium patricia arquette I, Patricia Arquette and uh, famed psychic Gene Dixon, right? Um, but love all of us. Uh, as there's three of us, uh, we definitely need a fourth Golden Girl to uh, do this. That was a, a Golden Girl. Right? Um, so uh, <clears throat> let's bring in the fourth girl, right? Uh, the city is actually the fifth girl. Um, but uh, Jono, come on out to the stage. Hi, we're a medium-sized shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh all you need is a light jacket so we are here today oh jonah where can everybody find you at peak jonah any social most of them so we are here today to talk about uh a number of major moves going on over in the world of marvel comics uh but we're also going to touch on some news that sort of just broke maybe a little bit maybe not uh, but there have been news reports rolling in for a few days, and that's, I think, where we're going to start is with uh, the big hullabaloo about the MCU, which is uh, that our good man, Kang the Conqueror, uh, has seen the last of his best conquerings, and uh, our good buddy, sex machine, uh, queer positive Pedro Pascal, and is a uh, internet father, internet father, right? A uh, king of giving right um is in as reed richards which i'm only like a beautiful man and i don't you know aj nothing but a number but not in an r kelly way in more of like a jack Lalane way right but i'm a little concerned that reed richards is looking a little long in the tooth having nothing to do with his stretching Yeah, Peter yes. Pascal's forty-eight. I just had to Google it right now because I want to because that was one of those things where I was going to be like, um, "No, it turns he's out he's actually you wicked old witch." <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, me and you are the same just age. I was with? doing the same. That just happened with somebody where I was like, "This old man, he's younger than I am," um, <laughs> and and so you withered I... into dust. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen one day live on air. Um, yeah, you know, age ain't nothing but a number. It's not like I don't think that he could walk onto a set right now and be Reed Richards. It's that uh, this is a 10 to 20 year commitment. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be playing 68 year old Reed Richards. Um, so for him, it's maybe a 10 year commitment. Here's the other thing about it. At the end of the day, while they are Marvel's first family... And they're a flagship property. Everybody knows the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four fucking sucks. 
and there's nothing uh they maybe have two good movies in them plus like some appearances you know with the council of reeds i don't this has always been such a weird one to me like it's it the, the two tracks of it are they were owned by Fox. So if Marvel ever got a hold of them, that also meant they were getting a hold of the X-Men. Uh, so those I, two. Yeah. But it grailed it a little bit. It like it grailed it because it's like, oh, they're going to get back the X-Men. And when they get back the X-Men, they're getting back to Fantastic Four, too. And then think about all the things they can do with the two of them combined. Just to ask Mark Millar. And so then you get the Millar verse and like it wound up being a thing that. He immediately, he, you know, the Mark Millar verse where, you know, it was like, you know, the X-Men uh, Apocalypse Fantastic Four thing, right? And then uh, Apocalypse was terrible. I just, uh, I don't really see, I don't, I can't imagine like a story that I'm just going to be like, whoa, the Fantastic Four. Um, well, just, and I'll. Speaking of fantastic, uh, the fantastic Robbie S. Is Robbie's excited. I love that. I Robbie, I love your excitement for the Fantastic Four. That will that will give me a boost of energy when it comes to sitting down for this movie. <laughs> Here's the other thing. Already, right now, whoever's playing Sue is going to be 28, and uh, that's a bummer. I, especially after a lot of stuff that we talk about this weekend on our. Uh, Marvel Cinematic Multiverse coverage where we discuss the possibility of Kang variants. One of the things that I also want to remember is that there could also be uh, Reed variants. So we don't know what sort of role Pedro Pascal will play, even if he is playing Reed Richards. They might do some sort of like portmanteau like we were talking about this weekend too, where maybe he'll be some sort of old man Reed Richards and we will get a newer, younger, better fantastic four family out of this there's a lot of different options i it'd be fucking wild if he was maker yeah there's so many directions this could go just because he's announced as reed richards i think some of this could also be taking the temperature on what audiences will think just if that news is out there so i had to look it up because i was personally just curious uh just some old people who were older and acting in the mcu uh, it's not when he started, but currently uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is 47 and is yeah. still currently slated to play Doctor Strange. Um, I also looked up, you know, even though she didn't have the most action-packed role, Selma Hayek is 57 and played Ajax in Eternals. I don't think it's out of the realm, especially with Reed, whose, I think, most iconic look is the older salt and pepper, you know, father figure kind of look, where, especially with his powers... You don't have to do a lot of, a ton, I'll say a ton of, you know, physical physical activity and training to get to prep for the role, because a lot of it will just be CGI him stretching about. I don't know. We live in a post-Daredevil season one world where I like my nice long cuts. I, I, don't, I don't want that footage interrupted. I hear you. I'm just nervous. <laughs> and as I say that, you can't be nervous about it. Um, but I also hear what you guys are saying. There is a difference of when you're in your mid-30s going into your late 40s doing this for 10 years as opposed to starting there. This is an MCU role you are locked in for a decent amount of time, depending on the, the, you know, the severity of the popularity of your character. Someone like Reed Richards, who is a flagship property at Marvel, as well as a very well-known property at Marvel, you might be locked in for a while and... That is something that 
I know a couple of actors in the MCU um, have voiced their frustrations about how long they're in their contracts for and how much it's, I can't do, really do any other projects because I have to be on call to be able to do something for Marvel. It is one of those things where I think if you want to do it, commit to it, know what the commitment looks like. Now, oh, I'm so sorry. Do you have more? I'm so sorry. Um, not too much more outside of, I, if, you know, Pedro Pascal is the route that they're going for Reed Richards. I also kind of appreciate we're not getting, at least off the bat, the young, sexy version of all of them. Currently, they're older. They have two kids. Like, I don't mind that they're starting at an older age if that's what they want to do. I'm just, the problem isn't the talent, and the problem isn't that older people can't. I think I just cut out. There we go. The problem is, in many ways, that uh, audiences don't have as much patience for a significantly older actor getting older. We don't mind seeing our very muscular uncle, but we hate seeing grandpa get tired. And so uh, the problem isn't with his ability. His talent level is through the roof. But speaking of talent levels through the roof, Marvel finds themselves in an interesting position. Should Kang be done or not? I'm going to make a, a daring statement that I personally believe that the real world things going on with Jonathan Majors far supersede anything within a story. And I think that there's a lot of things going on where we clearly don't have the whole picture. And so I just hope everybody in this situation gets help, gets safety, and uh, anyone who needs it gets justice, right? Um, but take a step out of that. Pretend that there is no real world. Just analyze Kang on paper. Nope, sucks. Gotta go. Uh, I don't mean Kang as a story sucks. I don't mean Kang as a character sucks. I mean, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a fucking makes a spreadsheet guy. Kang on paper for the Marvel Universe. Gotta go, boy. Done. Jonathan Majors and his real life story. That's a completely unrelated conversation. But shareholders wise, this was a dead end for Marvel. It ended up being a dead end and i think if you put money on it will be that was smart money i will say we had a great discussion about this on sunday or on saturday uh and again it's always tori tori sheehan like not super dedicated comic book reader but haver of all best comic book ideas um it's kang in theory is should be where you go after Thanos. We had the guy who was trying to save the universe. The guy who's trying to save the multiverse should be the next thing. And he should be that much scarier, that much more threatening. Um, because he came about early in the comics in a way that people just weren't galaxy-brained yet. Uh, but here's the, th the thing that's really frustrating is now... now we are galaxy brain. We can't come up with these high concepts and nobody's still, nobody has managed to make Kang seem threatening. Um, and that's the thing where I'm really like, I was waiting because I was like, it's the MCU. They know they have to top themselves after Thanos. There's no reason they can't. They have all of the elements. There was one Thanos with then the hint of a sort like kind of a second one. Uh, there was always one on stage at any given time. But they, they killed one. They went and got another. Kang, there's like an infinite number of them. 
Um, you know, they're infinite levels of sane. This should work. And these great writers and these great developers who figured out how to make Thanos the guy that killed half of everybody we loved and made our hearts sink at the end of Infinity War, they got this. If it was you and me talking, I think you would have bet against and I would have bet for. I would have said, nope, they got it. They can make Kang bigger than Thanos. And I felt like when we saw what we saw in Ant-Man, that was my first hint that, like, could they? Sure. Or do they seem to be? No. And when you factor in the problems with the actor, it just seems like maybe it's not there. My thing is I would go back to my development team and be like, how are, how did we get this so wrong? All the elements were there. We just had to write it. I think the first thing is that they started by putting it in all the dumbest places. Loki season one, what a great piece of canon. But like, where does somebody come into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Flashing through Disney Plus to find Loki or going to see a movie? And I think starting Kang in Disney Plus is Loki and then having him go to Quantumania. Like, that was trying to stealth this character into a universe with all your lowest rated properties, man. Kevo, it seems like you got something. I really want to know where you're sitting on the Kang, the the Kang Kangosity. The Kangstrosity of it all. Yeah, no, same. I think they... I think it's just been such a struggle because people, even just four and a half years later, want everything to be endgame levels already when that took 11 years. I want just spider portals. All spiders doing portals all the time. And, you know, I said on this broadcast this weekend, too, I kind of fell into that trap because I even wanted that from as early as Multiverse of Madness. And now I see how unreasonable that was. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. Jonah, I don't know. I'm so uh, sorry, Kevo. I was about to say, Jonah, do you have any, uh, take on it? Not really any big or hot takes. Kang, and it's mostly what I said on the last broadcast I got to be a part of last week. Kang really isn't that scary or threatening and they haven't really done the legwork to make him scary or threatening uh as an individual in quantumania sure that kang was threatening but every villain in every mcu movie has some level of threat to them that nothing about that kang really stood out as oh this is the next big bad this is who i should be terrified of that didn't happen and it still hasn't happened. He's confined to Loki, Quantumania, and then Loki again. And I think they were trying to do a similar slow introduction like they did with Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet, but do it with more purpose. Like, people always point back to what has now been retconned to be the fake Infinity Gauntlet from Thor 1 that they then point to again in Ragnarok. And they were like okay, so let's do something really, at the time, really, truly, we were very dazzled by, which was let's throw Kang in at the end of Loki Season 1. 
and then let's put him in a smaller movie. But they couldn't have really predicted how impatient audiences would be for things to happen more quickly. And, you know, everything else, not even just Jonathan Major's personal drama, but like all of the real world drama that has done so much to mess up their schedule and then make so many plans shift. We have no idea where the Infinity or the Multiverse Saga would be today if nothing had happened since 2019. You know, all said and done, I think we're faced with a sort of impossible, a sort of impossible situation because I don't know that there's ever been a movie franchise that operated so much like a television program and on a TV show, when there's a bad first half of a season, you write out the new characters and you move on. It is not customary that a bad first half of a season costs $3 billion dollars. And so I think the scale that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is trying to play on is an enormous factor here. If this had been season four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe starting out, we kind of would have rolled our eyes at the at ultimately the Kang season, which ended in the season finale. And it gets very revenge. Let's never mention that again. No Americana initiative up in this piece. Right. And that would have been all it was. Right. But, uh, Instead, uh, trying to erase our clean teens cost a billion dollars. What was her name on the OC? Um, the, the stupid Freud rabbits. Taylor? No, the dumb one. I hate her. In season two. Oh, my God. Wild. Lindsay. Lindsay. Right. Lindsay. So, like, she was bad. Lindsay. Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde was fine. Alex was fine. Like, Lindsay would just be written out, and it would be no big deal. But in terms of this, Lindsay is Kang, and that costs $3 billion. So. Um, also, I just need to... Uh, I'm going to hang myself out to dry before TK can put the comment up and can burn me. Because uh, it's already hot in here, all right? Um, no, I did not watch the Madam Web trailer. I was uh, building a fence... Um, not like in a bad way, I guess that's no, literally bad. he was building a fence, just working on my property, just, uh, doing like home repair stuff. Uh, and, uh, that was after work. So, uh, then I did this. So I'm going to, you know what, do we just want to watch the Madam web trailer live? Is that it? Do I just need to watch it live? It's up to you. I've seen it. I know where I stand. You guys going to watch it? Everyone's frozen in fear. Oh no, Kevo, I can't hear you. How do you want to coordinate this? The bigger question. I'll come in there and we'll all get on Kevo's screen. This is no. be great. Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming. In the Kevo? meantime, I'll do some work from my one man show. I'm kidding, I won't do that. Uh, you have to pay to see that. I'll put up this episode cover. How do we do this? Oh, you're putting it on your phone. Okay. Y'all better live react very loud. I'll, I'll put it on here. Oh. Where? This is turning into a shit show. Hi. Hey, handsome. I love you. 
In the time it's taking you to do this, I've watched it twice. You're a dick. Jojo. Yes. Yes. All right, you have it up ready? Yes. But they're going to need to hear us. All right. That's fine. They won't. Hey, it's not going to be. Looks like a decom. I love it. My dad was the six million dollar man. What is happening, girl? That's her, right? That's. Right. Right. Car in the ocean. My favorite trope. Well, yeah. That happens all the time in here. <gasps> yeah, it is. That's who he is. I've been having these strange dreams. All right. I can't tell what's my phone skipping. No, it's not. It's your phone is not skipped. Not once. This is the trailer. Okay. <gasps> <laughs> You're a queen. I love you. You're my new favorite. I can't take this redhead seriously. Ah! You just heard the name, didn't you? Oh, that's just not true. Ezekiel is getting long. Hey, man, you came into my corner. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the Statue of Liberty in the logo. That's a choice. Uh, and that's something we did live on. So, Robbie, uh, no, I am excited for it. I think it looks exceptionally stupid, but you are not the only one who is excited for Madam Web at this point. Uh, Tasty Cake watched it once. I don't need to watch it again. Yeah, I I agree with that too. Um, it's uh, nothing in there that desperately needs to be mined. Um, just checking. That yeah. is Ezekiel. Ezekiel Sims. She says it specifically. That young man is Ezekiel Sims in a cane suit 
for some reason. Every this I love this movie is just mad libs of a bunch of Spider-Man Spider-People qualities <laughs> like and their names. Yeah. Uh cuz Dakota Fanning is playing Cassandra Webb, but as Julia Carpenter being Madam Webb, Sydney yes. Sweeney is playing Julia Carpenter you as mean D- Sp- Dakota Johnson. Sorry, what did I say the first time? You said Dakota Fanning. <laughs> no, I I nailed it. I'm all set. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't correct me. That was that was great. Um then we've got Maddie Franklin and Anya Corazon, which are cool. Uh they're great. Uh, that it's Ezekiel Sims uh, as a young man, but in a cane suit. Being evil? Being evil. Um, it's just a real grab bag. I I don't know. And then um, uh, Adam Scott is playing Ben Parker. Oh, yeah. No, we did know that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay kevo secret think, i do want to say what? i i did think it was a cool trailer i yeah. love the potentiality of a spider women's movie yeah totally I wish it was called like madam's web yeah or something uh it was really cool i i just wish that ezekiel you know why i just wish it fucked? didn't i wish they weren't mad libsing it like it there's his name is kane I mean, as somebody has pointed out, it is very much the Maddie Franklin origin storybook. Uh, you know, all of those, basically all of those characters feature in it, except for Ezekiel Sim. All the spider women feature well, and in it. Anya, because she didn't exist yet. Right. Um, but, like, the spider woman in that is Jessica Drew. It's just a weird, it is a weird thing. And it reminds me of what Fox would do with the X-Men movies, where you're like, it's vaguely Days of Future Past, but here is the mad lib things that we've done with days of future past and who we've replaced and why this person that was never an X-Man is there. Why is Darwin one of the original X-Men? My name is Callisto and I'm super fast. What? No, go home. That was always every X-Men movie, including, you know, it, this happened a little bit in one and two, but it really got bad in three. Callisto was one of the really bad ones. Uh, and Kid Omega with the quills. Uh, every X-Men movie after that, it was just like, you guys just pulled things out of a hat, stuck them on a board, and then wrote a movie on it. So it's a little bit of a bummer to see Sony doing that because it's obviously not a good formula. These are B movies for their one A property that they can't make A movies with unless Marvel is helping them. It's a weird place to be, but like they're never terrible. Venom was good. both Venom movies have been good. I, I do you, think Craven's going to be bad. Yeah, I promise you. I one time got bit by a radioactive hunter, and now I have all the powers of a radioactive hunter. Like. And Mor- Mobius was bad. Morbius. And, uh, so yeah, there. It's a mixed bag. Anyway, uh, so good luck and Godspeed. Talk to me about Jobin time. Well, I hope everybody liked when I started Jobin and just started JoJo and all over the place. I I don't have the same connection to the Spider Verse in the sense that you guys have. Uh, I did see Julia. I love Julia. Um, that's my that's my Secret Wars girl. She was there. <laughs> Stay with Chicago. But outside of that, uh, no big connection, but I I never want to discredit, you know, uh, I'm not going to discredit anybody who's a part of the project, but I do look at this film as, oh, 
Sony desperately trying to keep its claws in the Spider-Man property, because if they don't have that, then what do they have? And they probably have plenty of stuff. That's not entirely true. But it is just kind of one of those things of they're doing so well with Into the Spider-Verse that they keep doing these other weird projects that I don't understand. I feel like they should be really leaning more into the animation side. And for me, it's also just a matter of not really uh, having a strong sense of the people that are making some of these movies. Uh, you know, Yakosa is the director of the Marvels, I think, is her name. And I, you know, love a lot of the interviews and her energy that she truly has project. I don't know anything about S.J. Clarkson or her work. It's a bunch of random stuff like Dexter and Bates Motel and Jessica Jones and like just like and that's the thing. She's worked on Jessica Jones. She worked on The Defenders in 2017. So like she has Marvel experience too. I just I don't really have a sense of what her desire is for this project and I think that's the thing too if you can tell me that this is the true piece of art that someone wanted to make even if it's terrible alright someone wanted to make this it wasn't just about the money or keeping the property for someone if people aren't into it then why even make this project at all well <clears throat> we got a couple of months to sit on this but uh, until we get to the Kang and uh, I guess the – I kind of want to say like the Kang resolution. But I guess what I'm really saying is Marvel to make an out loud decision because I'm sure the decision has already been made, right? But until we get to the uh, sort of the conclusion of the Kang saga, as it were, <laughs> uh, we find out just how true this Pedro Pascal as Reed Richards rumor is. And we get to see Madam Web, which I keep wanting to call Spider's Woman, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, let's take a look at some Marvel Comics stuff. Now, you know, one of the things that's really crazy about what's going on with Marvel right now is I feel like this is a company-wide reset button. I feel like the entirety of the Marvel offices are under some sort of direction to prepare all of the lines for a, a pretty thorough reset. And with that in mind, I couldn't think of two images that better represent how I'm feeling about this House of X ending era. What I want to say to start is, I feel as though Marvel said a number of years was, this is the extinction proof era, and now it's all about extinction again. And I know that the tagline is extinction is optional. No, that's not how you're selling it. That's not what you're selling. Um, so to go from look at everybody being amazing with so much potential to look at the, uh, the, you know, the magic deus ex machina that we always like to bring out dying on the ground. I do think that's a pretty apt metaphor for the overall direction that i feel like marvel is traveling on these stories not that i think all of marvel is in the toilet i think they are in a burn it and start fresh a year from now kind of place before we get into all of this how are you guys feeling about your current marvel slate what are you guys reading what have you dropped do you guys feel like we are headed for that sort of reset
Teak, I'm just going to ask you to unmute because I think what you're saying is probably amazing. Just say unmute, Nico. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, on how I say unmute. Thanks, guys. We are both there and like coming. As an example, Daredevil's already restarted from the era that started around the same time as Hawks. So that's the really interesting thing is a lot of stuff restarted around 2019, 2019, 2020 around there. Um, and something like the Avengers, the big run, Aaron's run ended. We have a new run going, but that appears to be kind of an interim run. So the next one will pick up around the same time as this. Daredevil has restarted from the Zadarsky era, but we don't know how long that's going to be. We don't know how ongoing it is, but they're clearly in the process of clearing things out as well. So this is happening all over the place and where X-Men is having this really extended transition that uh, I don't love the decision to do it, that's whatever that's comics that's showbiz baby we go on the extendedness i am actually is actually making oh i wish you wouldn't do this but i'll read it because it's comics there everybody does something i wish they wouldn't do extending it to a years a year long uh very kind of hellacious saga is kind of forcing me to slog through something I was already not excited for. If you tell me you're going to execute my favorite character, that's fine. But when you tell me it's going to be a year of watching the execution, you're asking me to spend a lot of money. Yeah. You made it very clear to me that I probably want to hop off and come back in a year. But like, I loved uh, the Jason Aaron Avengers run and I was not looking forward to this new one. And I don't know where we're going after this new one. So I, you know, my head's kind of, but honestly, I'm completely enjoying it, especially now that I know it's just 12 issues. It's, uh, it just is what it is. It's this little kind of interim run and things are happening. Like, uh, now Alyssa Wong is writing Captain Marvel and it's the Captain Marvel that is coinciding with this book. So it's actually like, again, I, it's not particularly what I wanted. I had other really big ideas after Aaron's Avengers, and I thought that those would kind of come to fruition, but that's okay. It doesn't always need to be what I want. I like this run perfectly fine. I'm happy to enjoy it. It's great. It's not going to be something I talk about for the rest of my life, but I'm having fun. There's stuff I can point to and be like, that was really cool. Uh, this This extended sequence of mixed bag of like stuff that I think is great, but I think is weirdly placed... Uh, stuff that is really well written I don't think deserves to be a four issue and then the extended like it's it's we've we've done four months and in real time it's the first day of the post hellfire gala it's just like this is really going on huh guys painful it was painful I started dropping off uh, my you know interest has kind of fluctuated and waned with the current runs that are going on not a lot of it is really particularly that calling to me, especially with the little bit that I did read. I was like, oh, we're getting into territory that I don't know if I particularly care for. I've just been rereading older runs, looking at, you know, issues and comics and things of older characters and characters I wanted to learn more about and read about. But I really can't say 
that I'm kind of this particularly happy with the way things are ending, or at least how it's going and how we got there. You know, how it started, how it's going. It really felt like we were told something cool was happening and then never really got to fully experience the cool thing happening because there was always something. It's always something. And I guess it's the X-Men MO. There's always something. They are literally just a soap opera. There is always an antagonist. There's always a problem. Nothing will ever go right for the X-Men. Literally. Woe is me. I'm the X-Men. Nothing ever goes my way. It, but I'm also of the mindset where the talks of the Marvel... Uh, not so much Marvel. The Disney and Fox merger probably was in talks for a very, very, very long time before it was actually revealed to the public that this happened. The The amount of negotiation that's happening was for a very long time. Can I say that it started way back in 2019? No, I cannot say that. But I think at some point it would have been mentioned to Marvel that Disney would be interested in acquiring all of their properties to give Marvel and their movie studio all the properties to work with. It's one of those things where imagining that conversation has been had for quite a long time. Why allow them to do such a big and big departure and swing like this, knowing that eventually in the horizon, that's on the table and can happen. And eventually we are going to have to take it away because we want to integrate the idea of Dexman that people now remember or recognize from their childhood or from their youth and bring forward to the modern age in the MCO. You know, I think part of what's hard for me is I can't imagine that Krakoa happened before that. I have to imagine that they knew that the Fox merger had already happened and publishing was told, you're not going to be affected. Don't worry, just do publishing. And then ultimately the call came. Oh, no. Um, you know, we changed our mind. Yeah, we just think that line-wide consistency is going to be kind of important. The hard part for me is I felt very much like uh, when the Marvel offices were like, retweeting people's Krakoan tattoos. Um, it's kind of hard for me to rectify those two things. You guys said this was a lifestyle. And like to that end, you know what? I think I thought this was the next giant size. Yeah. I think I thought this was the new Avengers. Yeah. I think I thought this was Spider-Man forever having Venom or the Black Symbiote or something that has changed. It's Miles Morales existing. It's any of these things that are a permanent shift. I don't think she's ever going to stop being Captain Marvel again. She is Captain Marvel forever, and that's just who Carol Danvers is forever. And we even have a more popular than she ever has been, Ms. Marvel, to replace her as Ms. Marvel. So it's no big deal. I think I really did think for the first two years that this was the moment. And then, uh, you know, that that happened, that change occurred. But uh, we're going to get into specifically the X-Men. But did anybody have any response to that before we start moving into our books? To what? Just like the idea that this could have been. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I We all felt that way. I think I... I'm very curious to know if it was just too gay for them. And I don't mean gay specific. I mean like too minority for them. If they just felt like we were all living too much and the fanboys online were saying the X-Men are weird tree people now. But weird. it does just feel like... Uh, I... Uh, 
I, I can't really think of a time where we've had to go back. Like nobody liked uh, Marvel. I uh, I do want to say I did feel like because no no no. Not that I would say that there was an area of study on this, but like the biggest snap back so hard that it made my throat hurt. Yeah, was New X Men to Astonishing. Astonishing is great. But New X-Men is about progressive ideas and Astonishing is exclusively about rehashing old ideas. Like, explicitly, that was his goal. Yeah, the... you can see, though, how that's a the continuity. Like, they're literally, it's the next day after Gene dies. Oh, yeah, but you I know think what this I mean? will still be the day after Krakoa. Yeah, but they'll be... be never a really, it, it was the next day in the mansion. They woke up and taught school again uh the you know they were saying that it was like the same student some of the same students did appear um this will be very much like they leave oh. the place where they were all what just it, it's five months later it's that the a riot the the uh planet x occurs in may yeah and this is the new school year in september right so they're actually five months later it's a big reset and there was a bunch of like minor mini series that took place over the summer right. to kind of bridge the stories but they were still in the school like philosophically yes it changed a lot and that was a big reset yeah. uh but this is like literally the setting is going to change probably we still actually don't know that's we another know. thing uh we keep announcing stuff and that's part of what i'm getting sick of we're announcing stuff but we're not announcing anything which i get like i do i would rather read it in the issues but i don't like all these kind of news stories and solicits floating around um but it's tough to think of like you know a brand new day might be the best example i can think of of a, a hard attempt Great to call. reset uh that is there a single person who's like yes except for um joe casada <laughs> joe casada is the only person that likes brand new day you know there's ways i actually like it having just done that whole big jms run like yeah I, there, there are ways that it is um a relief yeah um but you know, we'll get into it okay yeah i'm moving us into the slides boys do it uh first slide please so uh next slide please right um big marvel what's big marvel big marvel is what they're pushing so here's the game today right and this is my that my little game you don't have to play you can just talk but my guilt my goal is i'm going to say something positive about a where it started uh something positive about a where it's going something critical about each uh i'm going to hope that the something positive isn't always i like the covers we're going to see what happens so Big Marvel, the direction of the company. I think the moment that Marvel lost its footing was, of course, the pandemic. And that was with Empire and then having to release that thing like seven issues a week to get it out. Yikes. Um, from there, we moved into Judgment Day, which was another mess. We had Sins of Sinister, which they promised was going to be the next big alt-U. And then we had Gods, which you can't convince me isn't going to be an eight issue miniseries. You just can't. They promised us that the future of Marvel lies in this ultimate universe relaunch. And uh, also this new line of giant size number ones, starting with giant size Spider-Man in which Eddie Brock's son, if we could scroll down a little bit, Eddie Brock's son is going to fight Miles Morales and giant size Spider-Man. We also have a new Timeless, which is going to be 
Moon Knight, who is also in the armor of Tony Stark and has someone else's something else versus Luke Cage with the Iron Fist and something else. And I check out because this sounds to me like a little too let's uh, phallicify magic girls, magical girls. Like it sounds a little too let's steal from like other tropes in a way that I don't know is my thing. How do you guys feel about the current state? What's your, what's somebody's positive? What could somebody say that they really like on this board? Here you go. Um, I just did a full, like all at once reread of ultimate universe, uh, ultimate invasion and ultimate universe. I don't hate it. I don't get why it's ultimate universe because it is literally just a whole other universe. I can see that they're doing stories here. If they tackle this right, and I don't know quite what right is because, again, this is just um, – actually, here's my here, my positive and what's right about this is this is something that I have said that they should do. Uh, give us not a what if, not an exiles, but just another universe. Uh, not attempting to retell the Marvel Universe stories in a more concise way. Uh, the current Ultimate Invasion and the universe that that is is a total mess. You cannot explain that easily. It has a weird backstory that involves the Maker pulling things out of time, and you can't just be like, it's the X-Men, but they started in the 2000s now, so all of their references are 2000 references, which is what Ultimates was back in the day. Uh, this is just a universe that is in some ways similar, in some ways really not, that they have started to tell stories in. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I don't know where it's going to go. They could make a ton of really bad decisions. But if I look at it and I'm like, I'm just excited to see Peach Momoko with kind of a blank slate and not a lot to answer to, being able to tell an alternate universe X-Men story that has some level of weight to it, like the company's giving it some backing. That's cool to me. Okay, I'm in for it. And on that topic, her book features... Okay, there was a series of covers where artists were asked to create original characters for the cover. And her original mutant for that series of covers is the co-lead of her Ultimate X-Men. Oh, I did not real realize that. That's very cool. So it's the one of the first times that's ever happened in the history of Marvel. So. I love it. So an Empire in the X-Men mini issue. I love the one look they gave Ileana when she had the staff of the zombie dead. And she looked really cool and demonous. And that was only in like two panels. And then we got mm -hmm. rid of it. I liked in Judgment Day. I like the, some of the Eternals there. That was nice to see them interact with the Avengers and the X-Men again. That was fun. And since it's sinister, Mother Righteous has a banging design. Those are my positives. I like that's a lot of positives. It's three things. Um, <laughs> my, they're not really negatives. They're more indifference. Uh, this really isn't really stuff that really, uh, it's not my cup of soup if you will. Not my cup of tea. It's just stuff that doesn't really resonate with me. It's a little, not in a pejorative, fanservice-y. There's nothing wrong with fanservice. Fanservice is inherently a neutral term. It often gets a bad connotation for what people think fanservice is because there are types of fanservice that has a bad connotation to it. 
However, this type of fan service just doesn't really jive and doesn't really get, as I said, it's not really for me. I don't really have a lot of interest in these kinds of stories, so I'm not really going to gravitate toward them, and I don't really care what's happening in them. Unless there's this major revelation with a character that I super love and into and attach to, I'm not going to be drawn to these kinds of stories. I can kind of resonate with that point from Jonah, because in fact, my positive is I genuinely love this giant size line that they've teased. I love that they're saying it's going to be six giant size, one every other month for the year, I believe is what they've said. Um, the reason I love that, good. One fucking issue. Stop telling me that I have to buy six issues and it's going to start in February and then there's going to be two delays. So even though it's supposed to be bi-monthly twice, it's going to wind up not coming out till December. And so everything that it's meant to inform is going to get met. No, a giant size. I love that. That's one big book. I plunked down $7.99 and I never have to think about it again if it sucks. But if I love it, I'll keep my eye out for the treasury edition. Or uh, maybe it'll be in a nice collection somewhere down the line or the characters will matter. Uh, if I am going to be something really critical about something, it's stop trying to promise me this big magic overarching idea. Because the big problem with the other three things on this is each one of them is, and the universe will never be the same in a way you can't even imagine. And I can't imagine it. I can imagine it because you telegraph it. And then before this issue even comes out, I'm going to see the press release about the two follow-up issues spinning hot out of gods, spinning amazingly out of the world of timeless. And I'm excited for all of that. I'm excited for the future of the Marvel universe, but by telling me these are the tent poles, everything rests on these tent poles being banging. And when they're not, the problem becomes, well, I waited four months for this timeless because this was originally solicited in August for December. If it's not great, that's four months of my time you kind of wasted. So, and I will say that is kind of a, it is not that bad for me with the Jed McKay stuff, but Jed McKay got two timelesses uh, that he focused on Kang that are all culminating in this 12-issue Avengers run where in the second Timeless he introduced uh, Murden and the Twilight Court, which is essentially a weird futuristic alternate universe Knights of the Round Table that's fighting Kang. Uh, they show up in issue 7 of his Avengers run, meaning they get six more issues and then his run ends and that Timeless run, those Timeless issues are... I don't know. I mean, I guess so, they're not so timeless, are they? I mean, so it felt like he was building up to an Aaron-esque huge magnum opus that would last many years and many issues. And then, yeah, which those timeless issues were a big part of. And then he just gets this 12 issue maxi, which is a totally good one. And those timelesses inform it really well. But uh, so none of this is on Jed McKay. I'm saying uh, marketing and editorial that was kind of i you did the guy dirty and you did yourselves dirty because i can't in good conscience be like man you gotta read this it takes a year for between the first two timelesses and then another year to get to the characters that he introduces in that second timeless and then they're only gonna get half a year worth of stories is that a banging pitch to you that's a bummer. Don't do that. And we're seeing a lot of what you're saying and what I'm agreeing with is we are seeing a lot of those kinds of like, 
biggest thing you've ever heard in one issue, the follow-up to which will come out in question mark. Uh, Star-Lord will return in question mark? In a post-credit sequence. So uh, let's take a look at our next slide, right? And let's see where the Marvel Universe is heading. Uh, For the X-Men, I believe... Hickman's X-Men, where it started with House of X, Powers of Ten, and even Giant Size X-Men, the idea that there were bigger picture stories being told. Uh, Where is it now? Well, upcoming, we have the rise and fall of the House of X and the Powers of Ten. We have X-Men Forever, which is, of course, where we get this stunning Jean Grey cover. Even if it's a bummer, it's brilliant. Um, We have Immortal X-Men 16, X-Men 28, which is the last issue before Doom's X-Men, and then we have the run of Doom's X-Men. And then we go to Nimrod. Sure. Invincible Iron Man, which somehow was a part of Hickman's X-Men. God only knows. Uncanny Avengers, which when I saw it was actually just a miniseries. I was befuddled in a good way. But I could not believe that they did not make Uncanny Avengers just an ongoing. Shocked. And then uh, Children of the Atom. Um, uh, I'm so sorry. Children of the Vault. Jeez. Uh, Children of the Vault is not uh, not anybody, I think's biggest pick of the week, but I think it's like the X-Men book on the market right now. Uh, so if you're asking me for a positive, I'm going to say this X-Men Forever cover. I'm going to say Children of the Vault is the highest end of an average silly romp you can have. But if you're asking me for a criticism, you guys literally had everything. You guys were Valentina, and you just didn't learn the seven-word chorus. It is insane how they had a road paved with gold, and they threw it away. This is nuts to me. Things I liked about the where it is now. I love that Kamala is, you know, officially a mutant. Part of the X-Men has that part of the original conception of her identity uh, is now canon and now moving and forward. we will get to her. Don't, don't worry. She has a slide. Uh, um, there are there's been some interesting ideas about the concept of the phalanx. The This idea of godhood. What does that mean? What does that look like? This weird um, a sinister is already ascended. We don't that kind of stuff, I think, that part was a little bit interesting to me, at least where the newer stuff is going. Where it started, where it started was great. There was so much air of mystery, this um, conception of mutants saying, fine, you don't like us, we're going to Mutant Island where there are only be mutants. You don't have to deal with us ever again. Don't worry. We won't bother you. And it's still not being good enough. Uh, you know, we look at this image and this image, I think, sparked a lot of discussion because you see a lot of old costumes. We see these characters that we now know as Cardinal and Rasputin at the forefront. We don't know what they're about. We see multiple versions of Wolverine and Storm, and we're like, damn, that's cool. We see, you know, Angel as Archangel. We see Firestar, who hasn't traditionally been that involved with the X-Men. We see Vulcan and Sinister. And in the center there, we see Moira McTaggart, this character who's been at the time before Hoxpox, the greatest ally to mutantum that we could see, because, you know, besides getting Charles and Banshee and all these different other people, 
she truly was an ally for the cause. She was just this person who was interested in genetics and wanted to help the mutants because that's what she did because she was a good person. And this revelation slash retcon that she herself is a mutant and her mutant ability manifests and that it can't be detected and that she just restarts her timeline up to a limit is was so interesting and pivotally making Moira McTaggart at that point the most important mutant that there could ever be. And then my dings is everything just went downhill. I can sit here forever nitpicking, talking about minor grievances or whatever. My biggest complaint is essentially this character assassination of choosing, we need somebody to be the scapegoat. We need somebody to be the villain and it being Moira. And that really breaks my heart because they could have chosen anybody else. They could have made it an entirely original character and it doesn't matter if you hate this original character. They're an original character. They don't have the history. Nimrod could have been an operating system in Krakoa that they then had to expunge. And it became Nimrod. Like, there were so many other ways. There were so many other ways. Instead of making it Moira turning herself human and vowing to end everything about the mutant race that there could ever be. Just kind of wow. Um really not my cup of tea so tk uh you know we talked a little bit on this but uh these particular titles though what i kind of considered the core response to hickman and you know i i feel like your mileage may vary on some of these but what is your take what is your positive and what's your uh, what's your critical thing uh my positive is they're all really well written um Nobody is doing a bad job here. For as much as I'm like, why is Iron Man in the in the mix? I think uh, Iron Man is a really good lane for a straight white man to be writing, and a straight white man who clearly wants to be an ally and does his best, but gets it wrong a lot. Is that not Tony Stark? Do I love it? No, it's not like the perfect conception of Tony Stark to me, but like, I actually do think it's really good. And from the perspective of somebody who's like, I love the X-Men, I want to, you know, I am, I am a writer of the X-Men and I really want to be an ally. And then I keep doing weird stuff to be writing a character that like basically is saying the same stuff. That's kind of great. Um, and, but all of my pros are it's all really well written the stories are uh in and of themselves really good if they were taken in a vacuum they would be great all my dings are editorial i i don't like what this is setting up um i don't like how it's coming down the pipeline just none of that stuff is working for me uh what it's retconning all of that but I agree with you, Children of the Vault is fantastic. Again, I think uh, Uncanny Avengers, for better and worse, is the same thing. It is a straight white man writing what is typically the straight man team, the 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 cops of the superhero world, uh, with a twist. And that has some really great aspects to it and some not so great ones. I think these books coming up, I can see why they're interesting. I just... Uh, when it when I look at what they're going to lead to, that's what really doesn't work for me. But everybody everybody's still firing on all cylinders. You know, let's take a look at another batch of some of these X titles, right? <clears throat> and look at uh, the next round of books on the next slide. 
you know, Hickman's X-Men set up a world where the X-Men exist in both space and magic just as readily as they exist on Krakoa, whether it's the resettlement of Mars as Arako, which I wonder if that's the ding where they're like, no, we can't not have Mars. That's insane, you guys. Who knows, right? Oh, I've been wondering the opposite. If it's going to be like, we'll give you Mars stays Arako. I uh, think that's that would be nice, but they've kind of committed genocide over there a few times. So, but you know, it's kind of started all with X of swords and dark web, which let's talk about 11 issues that don't fucking matter, but everything seems to have come out of them, but they don't matter. They don't matter. These issues have nothing to do with anything going on around them. They just suddenly happen. And then everything um, is about them forever. That's not entirely true. It's it's very weird. The biggest thing is the the Maddie Scott Jean story matters. But it, it's but it's that could have been on Maddie from where she was a month earlier in Hellions. Yeah, but that you know part of the story is is getting her there. It happens a little too fast. Don't get me wrong, but like. That story matters. The The work that they do to finally heal that relationship is really huge. It just feels like when you look at that, when you look at that aspect of it and you're like, finally, after decades of people kind of wanting there to be a reckoning for better or worse, uh, to finally do that in a Spider-Man, Ben Riley-based Inferno analog. I'm hearing so many things that don't make sense. I would have thought this would have just been a further, further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix book. Um, it's, to me, I, like, I, I want to defend it only insofar as, like, I do, there are things I really love about Jean and Maddie finally becoming sisters. And recognizing that they they share something and it does not need to be animosity and acrimony. That is really great. That matters and it has now carried on. We've got Dark X-Men. That's cool. What a mess of stuff that actually really does not matter to get there. And to introduce the other titles, right? If we could uh, zoom out a little bit. Speaking of the uh, sort of crazy Dark X-Men... These titles have essentially led into some take on X-Men Red 17, X uh, Realm of X number 3, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number 5, and Rogue and Gambit number 5. I have them on there as like legacy things. I know they ended like six months ago, but they do influence everything going into the Hellfire Gala. We have Legion of X number 10, Uncanny Spider-Man number 3, Dark X-Men number 4, and Alpha Flight number 4. These are sort of the fruits of those labors. If you're asking me for a positive about all of this, I like that the X-Men are going in all of their different directions. If you're asking me for a criticism, it's so unfocused. I wonder if this is part of why they have to get rid of uh, the Age of Krakoa, where I kind of think you have the X-Men Space Office, and you have the X-Men Magic Office, and then you have the X-Men Krakoa Office, and then you have the X-Men Treehouse Office. I wonder if trying to do too much made it all too heavy. And uh, that's that's the ding. As much as I love all of it, I wonder if that's the problem. And I think uh, Dark X-Men would be better if it had more of a uh, Hollow's Eve tone. If it was a little bit more. Yeah, it's a book called Dark X-Men. Let's all take a giggle. And a little bit less. Oh, it's so dark. Which it's not. 
It does have a little bit of that tone, I think. Not as much as Hollow's Eve does. Uh, I think you're right. They, they really should shift over there entirely. But it laugh does a little, guys. It does. It does. It laughs a little. I think laugh a lot. Like, come on, this is too silly. Laugh a lot. But it does laugh a little. Yeah. Um, Havoc being basically dead and just roaming around the book and that being like kind of an ongoing thing and him being such a simp for Matt. Like there, there are moments of levity. My good is, um, my, my really big good is X-Men Red. X-Men Red is amazing. Uh, it's a fantastic book. Al Ewing is firing on all cylinders. Um, writing a beautiful story. Storm finally is getting to be that alpha character while being challenged i think a lot of times storm just shows up in a book and zaps something with lightning and goes nobody ever fucks with me and it's not like that's not you know she is an amazing character but that deserves challenges which you know conflict is how you how you prove that this is a good story uh apocalypse being back is really fun all that same thing with all of the the minis the the fall of x minis uncanny spider-man uh they're all really written well they they have cool ideas i just don't like editorial that you know they're ending now they're all actually today almost all of them ended uh alpha flight 4 children of the vault 4 um dark x-men 4 uh astonishing iceman anyway they're all ending and and now what are we doing we, we still have until march that we are extending this fall of X. So that's what I don't love, but yeah, still great stories being told here. Man, what a long fall it is. Yeah. Poof. I, uh, great. Uh, I echo, uh, X-Men red is as was, uh, probably forever will be, uh, the superior title to many, many of its others, uh, co-title books it is really good it's really enjoyable a lot of interesting topics interesting storylines uh it's also great just to kind of see storm unchained where storm kind of doesn't really have to hold back ever against anybody and it's really kind of just nice to be like oh we can have this really powerful amazing strong woman the strong you know black woman be the lead take lead take charge be the everything i love that for her and i love that for us for getting to read it uh, biggest thing it's and this kind of goes along with the other x titles it's all because we're doing this fall and it's being extended for so long it's all just so heavy it is all so mod and bloody and dark and edgy there is there's not a lot of levels to it if that's what you're into i'm glad and i'm hoping you're eating right now but there's no levels to this profile of the kind of things we're getting here. It's all just kind of the same thing. Just kind of slightly retextured of who's getting the edgy story today. I, After a certain point, I, I need the levels. I need the variation of the kind of genres you're trying to tackle and what you want to tackle. If everybody is just so sulky and upset and like, what are we going to do, guys? They wiped out all of us. How do we win? It is a little. Now, you know, I really agree with you. And, you know, Kevo, your slow pan really pointed something out to me. It literally says head of X, Jonathan Hickman presents the X-Men crossover of 2020. 
and they already knew at that point he was leaving. And there was no replacement. There was no new head of X. There was no direction. And, you know, that's neither here nor there. But I think that really shows in our next slide. When we take a look at our next slide, we see that... I can't even explain it, but Ben Percy's X-Claws are crazy. The man started with X-Force number one. A-Book. He had A-Book. And now he has all of the books. And it's just never going to stop. The guy has currently coming up. Uh, X-Force 46. Wolverine 38. Upcoming is the Sabretooth War. He has Predator versus Wolverine. He just had the Weapons of Vengeance event. And while he had nothing to do with the Deadpool title, Deadpool wound up showing up in X-Force as soon as he left Deadpool. So it's just sort of like, oh my god. I think Ben Percy is, you know, marvelously talented. But fuck if it doesn't feel like he's never doing what anything else in the Marvel Universe is doing at the same time. So um, the positive, well written. The ding, I wish anyone else would write with it. Yeah, I don't know that I can add a ton more to that. I'll give a positive because I, I that's that's basically the whole thing. Um, uh, I think something like Predator versus Wolverine is really cool and a great place for Percy uh, because it is really specifically kind of out of canon and just for fun. And one of those things where like um, you actually can't. They're both sort of such a strong type of action character that you do kind of want to imagine what it would be like for them to go up each uh, up against each other with just like the basic knowledge of their universe. You don't have to worry huge about continuity or, or anything like that. This is just like, what if the guy with claws fought the alien that likes to hunt? That's cool. And that's a great, that's a great place for Percy. Predator is essentially based off of like something tangentially horror related. Percy's great horror writer. Um, but yeah, it's he has really gotten to have his cake and eat it too here in a way that he is writing stories that are ostensibly contemporary to the rest of Krakoa, but never quite really have to interact with them or answer for the complicated things that they create and bring up. And I'm really interested to see how that pans out in this final Sabretooth story, because what I'm really excited about is the culmination of Victor Laval's uh, Sabretooth, Sabretooth and the Exiles in this uh, Sabretooth war. Jonah, how about you? I enjoy most of what Ben Percy gives us. And I will say, starting from one book and getting multiple out of it for years at this point, you know, props to you, Mama. That's uh, that's very impressive. I don't always know if Percy's writing is for me sometimes. What I will say that is a positive, I do appreciate that he tries to take really big swings when he, where he can. That I will say, uh, I am applauding the risk-taking in what he tries to do with his writing and his storytelling. That is exciting, and it can lead to some really cool moments. But there are other times where I'm reading it thinking, this is insane. This is so self-isolated. To cherry-pick an example, the entire saga of what Beast was doing in X-Force really got to a point of Beast is now an intergalactic supervillain torturing people, 
and is going to get away with it, going to get out of it, and nobody's going to say, like, nobody else ever involved is going to say anything about this. That's a little weird to me. Yes. That is, that is just a little, we're getting a little too fanciful. We're now, we're now, you're now taking me out of the illusion of this works within the realm of this universe, and now it's, oh, we can just do whatever we want. You know, and there's an issue coming up that partners him up again with Wonder Man. And I'm like, no, I don't want this. I don't want a nice, happy beast moment. I want beast to be torn apart by Nimrod mercilessly executed because he's like, I can help you. Let me join you. And he's like, no, you're a mutant. I wish you were dead. And, you know, just kills him. And then we can get teen Hank because they've already said the original X-Men series written by uh, X-Men legend Christos Gage is going to have one of the original X-Men stay in the present. I don't think it's going to be Jean. I don't think it's going to be... Because she's already touched the Phoenix, so there's no benefit to bringing her. Uh, Scott's in a good place. Killing him would just be stupid. Uh, it's really got to be Warren or Beast because they're not going to un-gay Bobby. So it's really got to be Warren or Beast, and my money's kind of on Beast because God, he sucks in this. Right. But uh, we got one more slide of X books because the X Men have too many titles. Right. And uh, that's solo X Men. Where did it begin? Oh, with Cable number one and kind of sort of Trial of Magneto number one. And where are we now? Astonishing Iceman number four, Bishop War College number five, Jean Grey number four, one of the best covers I've ever seen. Ms. Marvel, the New Mutant number three, Scarlet Witch number 10, which is, I think, the last issue before it relaunches as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Sure, get it, right? Uh, it's my favorite couple. Uh, Magneto number four, which is a flashback title. And the new Cable number one, which I have some reservations about I guess we always should have known that when Fabian Nicieza wrote Juggernaut number one, there was always the possibility we were just going to switch track back. But, um, you know, the guy who started writing Cable in 1990, 1990, I guess, yeah, is uh, still, you know, doing that. Okay, so then that's my good and bad. No, my good is that cover. My bad is, um, how are you ending the Krakoan era with a guy who hasn't written Cable in the Krakoan era writing a character who's been returned to the status quo pre-Krakoa? Pre I can't even say it. Pre-Krakoa. It's that horrible in my mouth. Um, Fabian Nicieza, is a phenomenally talented guy from literally like my hometown. Uh, very nice man. I've met him a bunch of times. Really good guy. But um, not how I would have wanted Cable to go out. All of the promise of his youth was just drained away. So uh, good gene, bad Cable. Ain't that the way? Good um, for me. Oh, go, go ahead. Go, go, go. Oh, okay. Uh, the good for me there is something to say about characters whether they are popular or whether there's an interesting point of view you can tell from their perspective giving them a solo title can be fun and interesting we have a lot right now so it's a lot of people kind of getting to have their cookies and eat it too so take and pick what you will of who you like and i know he's just so enamored by the by the by the drawing we do we do love a parallel 
uh, God and Adam. But for my money, solo titles, I think, really, you have to really either love the character or you have to kind of do a character that maybe isn't the most popular, but has, as like I said, the particularly cool point of view. My ding uh, for this one is actually mostly editorial. Uh, again, specific example, but Trial of Magneto was not known as Trial of Magneto when it was initially conce uh, conceptualized by Leah Williams. I do think it was pretty crappy that she was taken off of X Factor, put on this, and then changed it to Trial of Magneto. When we initially covered it, we were like, why is this called Trial of Magneto? It has nothing to do with the actual Trial of Magneto. That's literally three pages is much more, funny enough, The Trial of the Scarlet Witch. That would have even made a better title. But we have this draw of, did Magneto kill his daughter? Adoptive daughter. No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, it's his daughter. And anybody who thinks otherwise is has been manipulated by editorial and should just pretend it's not true. But mostly here is where I think you see where editorial is a little out of touch with the writers and kind of doing them a little bit dirty, as well as to their fans, not giving them enough credit to understand the significance of a title without doing a clickbaity name. TK, where do you stand on all of this? The clickbaity name of Trial of Magneto, the bait and switch of cable for cable for cable. How do you feel? Uh, I, we're past trial of Magneto now. I do. I was, I was incensed by it at the time, uh, just cause I really liked Leah Williams and I thought she kind of exited the line in an unfair way, but I thought she wrote it really well and thought it was a cool story. Um, all of these solos, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's my same thing for all of this. It's kind of not how I would like to see it happen, but, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. Uh, I, I want to see what the writing is and see what the threads are. It does really seem like the one that I I do have to kind of apologize for is Jean Grey because I came hard on this uh, when it was announced because it really seemed like it was just kind of what if stories and relegating an older writer to you don't actually get to write anything of consequence. And it turns out that it's like only half that. Uh, it turns out that they found a really cool way to let a veteran writer pull from the the pool that she lived in, the 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 ideas of her time, while also being able to apply that to a a present day situation. And they found a cool storytelling way to do it. Um, I feel like if it wasn't an older writer, uh, and particularly an older woman writer they might have been just like, eh, just do whatever you want for your Jean Grey story that takes place in present day. But there is a narrative reason that it makes sense that Jean is living all these past lives and what if lives. So I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and hope that uh, really uh, Wheezy Simonson was given the respect that she deserves and not treated like an also ran, which I feel does sometimes happen to her, sometimes happen to, it happens to Anne Nascenti. I mean, it, it happens, even happens to Claremont. Like, I was going to say, it happens to Claremont, and maybe that's okay at this point. Um, but I think Kitty Pride should just wake up really, really Asian. 
She's going to wake up and she's going to phase into some Tagalog. I just... Nisenti and Wheezy are still really sharp to me and, like, really get it. And I don't have really the same concern about them writing that I do with Claremont, but that's whatever. At the end of the day, this did kind of work to everybody's advantage, and I think that's very cool. For the rest of these, uh, I want to believe that something like that is going to happen with Nicieza, uh, but I don't care as much because... Women like Louis Simonson and Innocenti never got their due. Nicieza got his due and then some. Uh, so I'm not super worried about if he gets another title. But I think he's great. I think he's really fun. I, I know he loves Cable and has a lot of respect for these characters. And for an older guy, was very progressive with his ideas uh, back in the day. And, you know, I imagine still remains that today. It's just kind of like, well, but he is an older guy. And it, it is sort of time to let a new person who lives today, you know. I think I'm an older guy, and he was an older guy when I was a kid. Exactly. Exactly. And he's still a vital writer. He's still a yeah. brilliant guy. Yeah. No one's coming for him. Yeah. But it was, you know. This getting cable, getting cable. present day, uh, you know, the yeah. current run is, is – I don't, it's not quite right. But I think he's going to do a great job. I think everybody who writes these has done a great job. Uh, and I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what it all looks like. Well, I think what it all looks like is going to come into a little bit more focus as we move out of just the X books. Yeah. Look at the big, right? Fuck. Look at the bigger Marvel universe on our next slide. Uh, you know, Peter Parker is not just Spider-Man. He is a department of the spider line. Like there is a, the Peter Parker books, every the fuck one else. And I, I kind of took a couple of liberties here, but I want to point out that amazing Spider-Man number one. Um, I'm, I love Zeb Wells. I hate this run. Uh, and I've become a huge Spider-Man guy and I fucking hate this run. It is good issues, it's amazing pencils, it's interesting stories, and yet it all comes together to be as about as fulfilling as a sneezes to an orgasm. I just feel like it's got all the right parts and none of it hits my body right. I felt the same way about Slot Spider-Man and it's continuing. Slot Spider-Man? Sklomscore. No, yeah, Slot's Spider-Man number one with Bagley end of the day for me this is the worst part of the spider franchise i cannot get away from this era enough to be really honest with you yep uh i basically agree um there are really cool elements of the amazing spider-man run and i just there's there's a whole lot of ones that I just don't think work. Um, and it's tough to sort the good from the bad. And that's just a me thing. Like, I'm just not here for the the gang stuff and the crime stuff. Uh, as somebody who went on a journey with... And this is always my reference for Amazing Spider-Man right now. As somebody who went on a journey with Nico through uh, MC2 and Spider-Girl dealing with street crime... One of our big things was like, I don't think this is her element, but it's she is here constantly. And it's a weird part of this book where I, it, when I said I don't think it's May, uh, Mayday Parker's element, I meant it's not a spider person's element. Um, 
it's it's just the Sinister Six-esque rogues gallery that goes a little bit bigger and isn't worried about, like, the drug trade and mafiosos. That kind of is where they live, and so when we do a lot of mafioso stuff, it's just not for me. Uh, the stuff with Mary Jane is weird, but, like, isn't even the worst. Norman, J. Jonah Jameson, the Doc Ock arms. Like, there is some cool stuff in there. I've had a lot of fun around issues, like, 27 to 30-ish. Okay, the pet, um, Doc Ock, the pet Doc Ock arms are, like, the highlight of the title. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really fun. And I, I, I like the idea, or I appreciate the ideas with Mary Jane. I'm just kind of... I'm, it doesn't move me. Slots first seven issues, uh, a, an edge of spider verse, a, a spider verse story without being called one was tough. Spider verse is very much his thing. He, he is the prime mover there. So I get that he would want to go back to it. And, uh, he, did it his way um but like and out of that we got spider boy where he sits and doesn't yeah. actually sing the song just kind of talks through it no yeah uh a really good thing a really good thing a really good thing is rec rap rec rap is the best rec rap is uh precious and should be protected at all costs i love rec rap that's all i have to say jonah go ahead um my positive as well as my negative is there's so much spider-man out there that even if you don't like currently what's going on there's always something different coming on the horizon spider-man is a huge true. IP that's not just limited to well we are talking to peter about peter parker if you're not currently happy with what's going on with Peter Parker, there's a spider somewhere that you will be happy with. Yeah. Like, uh, and including, like, again, Rec Rap. Um, what's that? That's not Orca, is it? No, it's Rec Rap. You keep um, saying this name like. He is. He's from Dark Web. He is a limbo demon that was created to torture peter parker by being like a version of spider-man oh yes, uh, yes, yes and he's a big stupid idiot who says funny things and just like wants to be peter parker uh and they just for some reason just let it like let him come hang out in in the regular world i'm excited to get to this part of gang war and that's, see what he's a, doing that's a very foot forward shot that he has there it's <laughs> I, I do remember it's wall crawling time. Yep. Yeah. He's That's... great. Um, it's true. There is so much spider stuff these days. And I think that's great uh you know we're gonna I, I we're gonna i think move on from here and talk about the other stuff but yeah if this is not the the spider field for you if peter parker and his tangential shenanigans are not your shenanigans great news miles morales is here there are plenty of other people that can be your spider person and i just want to say that like in this list is even superior spider-man number one i yeah. kind of like superior spider-man yeah right 
So uh, let's take a look at our next slide. So on the next slide, we have the other spider characters, right? And uh, that's going to include characters like Miles. And, you know, normally that would include things like spider women. But instead, we're seeing fewer spider women in titles. Although I think spider woman recently had a title canceled. And we're seeing more spider like, woman is no, she's getting a title coming up. Oh, terrific. Right. Uh, but we're seeing a lot more like spider boys. We have Miles. We have Red Goblin, who's like a, you know, a boy Venom. We have Venom. We have Spider-Man India. I love Spider-Man India. Big fan. But, you know, generally, I feel like we had seen a lot more feminine and yonic and sort of a lack of male identity titles in the Spider-Verse. It kind of feels like that's not where we're at as much anymore, though. Hollow's Eve is definitely, uh, you know, the more I think about it, Hollow's Eve is kind of a Green Lantern. She just has unlimited abilities. And like sometimes, you know, I'm currently doing a big Green Lantern classic read. I'm not going to bore you guys with some of the insanity of the what he does with his ring. But like one example, he needs to spy on people. So instead of like spying he creates a bunch of invisible green microphones. And I kind of feel like that's the problem with Hollow's Eve, but I feel like that's the problem with Hollow's Eve for 2023, <laughs> whatever the version of that is. And here I thought Hollow's Eve was just playing way too much Majora's Mask. Oh my God, that is the scariest moon I've ever seen. Um, and I've seen the video for Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins and, uh, you know, conspiracy theorist Billy Corgan. Um, that was a song. You know, it is a perfect song because James Eha and Melissa Oftermar are in it. But uh, I can't believe TK isn't weighing in. Um, my On the, the Smashing <laughs> Pumpkins? Yes! He didn't It'll go be a Lollapalooza. I think it would be great if Hollow's Eve had some pumpkins that she smashed for chaotic purposes. If the next Hollow's Eve book isn't called Tonight Tonight, I give up. Uh, um, for my anime heads, they just need to do a crossover with Soul Eater, and she just needs to say pumpkin, pump, pumpkin, and then a sexy witch appears that's also actually a cat, and there's a bunch <laughs> of pumpkins. You know, if you want my positive, it's not on this list, it is the absolute best comic I have read in the last five years and that is uh the deadpool uh manga the deadpool manga is probably the best comic i have read in some time um if for no other reason thanos says dubstep is trash and uh in it is the absolute greatest spider character of all time sakura spider and is uh the best symbiote ever and uh hopefully we get another volume of that but the two volumes of deadpool the manga are like literally just i swear to god i couldn't put them down tk and i were so wrapped we canceled our other recordings that we just to do those he like overnighted them to himself or something we were so obsessed and uh it's so successful that even sakura spider found herself over in the pages of edge of spider verse in america in 2023 so you definitely want to check that book out and of course you want to check out our coverage you want to like it you want to subscribe to it you want to comment on it you want to ask it to your prom where you guys can dance to tonight tonight by the smashing pumpkins 
Uh, I want to give a huge thumbs up to Red Goblin. Alex yeah. Pacnadel uh, wrote the, the. It ended today. Uh, the issue ten came out today, and that's the end of the series. Uh, Alex Pacnadel wrote the shit out of this series. Um, he really an age group that almost no writer can get right is like 10 to 12. And I was a very precocious, uh, like twisted little 10 year old that was way wise beyond my years and very weird. And I saw so much of myself in Normie in that, like I was very like aware of what was going on in the world and very self-sufficient for a 10 year olds. Uh, which is like a you know like that's a thing there's a lot that you can know and there's a lot i was i was very capable like i was so at uh, 10 years old you could identify both wings the band and wings the sitcom there you go A, a perfect example um but then you know you're still 10 you don't really you don't know anything you don't know how the world works there's so many things that you are literally unable to do and unable to experience and that's such a hard thing for people to write because they write 10 year olds like they're not smart enough to if you know to to escape basically to walk out of school or the house and get to a place that they want to go they absolutely are uh and when you add to that the power of a symbiote uh and like just the oncoming of puberty it's 10 year olds are really smart interesting little creatures and i i think even the x books a lot of times will take a character who has previously been like 18 and make them 12 again. And they go from being like kind of a teen to like me baby. And it's a I'm very Franklin weird Richards thing. What is shaving? Right. Uh, um, is another one, mm. but like Alex Pacnadel really wrote this kid that has this little symbiote pet whose dad is dead, whose grandfather spent most of his life being an insane criminal and is now like suddenly okay. He's He's got PTSD, he's getting bullied, and he also kind of has superpowers. That is a tough thing to really write true and well, and Alex Pacnadel did it so good. Um, again, I, I look at with squinting eyes and a little bit of frustration editorial, what are you gonna do with this? This this guy gave you groundwork for days. Honor it. This kid deserves to be something. I've seen a version of Normie that I was still able to fall in love with despite him being a fucking loser with a giant stomach tattoo. You better do right by this Normie who already seems to be making better decisions. No, no. The good angels took away my bad body tattoos and now I get to be a good clean boy. I'm a clean boy for mommy. That is the weirdest boy. Yeah, no, I mean, they literally, he's purified, and so his body tats are taken. It's insane. You know, Jojo, I think you have a little bit less investment in the bigger picture of the Spider-Verse, but is there anything on this list that, like, either, you know, interests you or something where you're like, you know what, I know enough about that to say that it's actually not my thing, but I, you know, I wish everybody in the creative team luck in their future endeavors. Um, that's me for most titles, even if I don't like the, that particular run or anything. I hope everybody for the best. Uh, I try not to wish too much, you know, bad juju or energy on other people. Uh, not on this list that I did actually enjoy Gold Goblin. I did like look like that look at uh, uh, 
Norman and kind of, you know, the sins are crawling on his back, very sands of it all of, oh, okay, what do you, what does it look like for somebody who's trying to repent this time, but is, is legitimately just consistently physically haunted by his own tragic and terrible past of the things that he's done and how that affects his child and his wife. I also think it's really interesting that Gold Goblin was used to launch, like, I'm not being silly, but hear me out, Golden Bachelor, Old Man, Bachelor, Young Hottie. Now, if they launch Red Bachelor, I'm going to assume it's like a, a middle school age kid and he's looking for a math tutor, not a lover, right? And I feel like that's sort of what Red Goblin gives us in comparison to Gold Goblin. I think it's synergy across the ABC brand. And next slide. Well, I just got Are burned. You smarter than a fifth grade sociopath. I am certainly smarter than a fifth <sighs> grader the and Jeff Foxworthy, but I think sixth graders and Drew Carey is my upper ceiling. So let's take a look at our next slide. Uh, Avengers and A-teams. I kind of think we've said a lot about this. The thing I really want to say is if you want my ding, kind of fuck Marvel for the way they've treated Jed McKay. He has really been treated as not the guy. They keep putting him in the guy position. And then they just keep telling him he's not the guy. They treat Death of Doctor Strange like it's going to be the next Death of Wolverine. And then it's the also-ran, to use a term TK, you know, brilliantly reintroduced to this conversation. You know, we saw Kieran Gillen given the, no, you're our Neil Gaiman treatment on Judgment Day. But do you know why Sandman worked? Because nobody thought it was going to be Sandman. Do you know why Brian K. Vaughn's run on Swamp Thing didn't work? Because everybody said, you're the new Alan Moore. I think Karen Gillan is a, you know, Neil Gaiman. He is a rock star of comics. But at the end of the day, when you tell a rock star to write rumors, they're not going to write rumors. They're going to write Chinese democracy. And uh, then you're not playing with Slash. You're playing with Buckethead. (laughs) Somebody, please. Um. Here's my question. Do you feel the Avengers have a trajectory? I personally feel within six months of launching Jed McKay's Twilight. Oh, God. The ding is how they treated Jed McKay. But the thing I'm excited as shit about is Twilight. Holy fuck. So that's where I'm at. Um. Yeah, I mean, I already kind of talked most about this. Uh, I... The McKay run is really great, and I think, Nico, you're absolutely right. I, I don't really get how they treated him. I'm not sure if they they pulled the rug out from under him mm. or if they pulled the rug out from us, from under us. Because we, on our end, we definitely felt like, well, this is the guy who's taking over for Aaron, and he's yeah. wrote these two timeless issues, so he's gearing up for an 18-issue run, uh, a significantly longer run. And uh, Omni, with tie-ins. for sure. Yeah, and maybe he knew the entire time that that was not what was happening, and the, this is was what he was getting and how he did it. In which case, that's fine. If he was, if he felt respected and honored and got a you know a, a good contract and all that. I don't love it, but I'm at least pleased that a a hardworking creator was allowed to do his work. If they said to him, "We're looking at you," 
We're looking at you to be the guy. Start writing. And then somebody came to him midway through writing this magnum opus and said, oh, it's actually just going to be 12. We're, we're good there. That's that's pretty shitty. Um, I just feel bad it has shaped up for him so many times that it's uh, a good story that doesn't get to blossom into a great one. But I really think that I've... I've really enjoyed what he has written. I'm excited to see what Avengers Twilight is, but more than that, it feels like there is some giant Avengers Death Star out in the cosmos that we have not found yet, that has not been announced yet, that is the next big thing. And I don't really love the feeling of things like that looming because it gets into my whole thing about the the solicit cycle and the announcement that there's an announcement coming that will announce at another announcement before the announcement uh and meanwhile it's just like one picture and then fans speculate endlessly and i'm just getting a little tired of this cycle of doing things so that's my like hmm. well i just want to add to that i'm kind of concerned the same thing about ryan north's fantastic four i am so nervous that Ryan North's Fantastic Four number 16 is going to have two backup pages by Kieran Gillen with art by R.B. Silva. And it's going to be that in 20, it switches over to the new Fantastic Four for number 21. And it's going to be by Kieran Gillen. And it's going to be his magnum opus on Fantastic Four, which is where they stick you when you leave X-Men. Right? Uh, Just ask John Byrne and uh, Matt Fraction. Right? So my thought here is how many writers are getting exactly the treatment you're talking about, but which ones of them are getting that positive charge and which ones of them are getting that negative charge? It really is a tough situation to try and map. Yeah. Jonah, do you have any response to the Avengers? You know, I know you've sort of like dipped your toe in the Avengers, but like you're of the generation that were brought to the Marvel universe by the MCU and the Avengers and their promise. So as somebody who was told the comic universe is great, come check out the Avengers. How do you feel about what's going on at the Marvel universe with the Avengers now? The Avengers often feel like a boy band to me that often that just rotates its members way too often. I never really feel like, oh, this is the Avengers because it feels like the Avengers kind of get reset a la a lot of other titles. But unlike the X-Men where there's this huge cast of characters. There's still this kind of larger cast, but it feels weird that there's really not a very singular consistency to a lot of Avengers stories. You know, we have certain key members who I think you think of. You have Iron Man and Captain America, you know, Carol. But your it's Thors. Kind of, your Thors. But it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, we're getting a new run, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I did really like Savage Avengers. Buckets of blood. Blood everywhere. You know, I think the Avengers are such a hard thing to talk about because the Avengers are, more than anything, actually, at this point, a way that the Marvel Universe can map a crossover. It's not that I don't think the Avengers are the best attempt at the Marvel Universe to have a superhero team they can attach to because the Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Comics mag, have never been World's Greatest Comic team right the avengers of the marvel universe's attempt especially since the bendis hitch koipel era uh, era to have a crossover title 
I feel like when you're already promoting the other crossover, it's hard to promote the title that you're saying should lead into it. So all things said, I feel pretty bad for uh, Avengers by Jed McKay. But, you know, Twilight by Chip Zdarsky, that's where my heart's at. But to take a look at the next slide, we have all of the other books happening in the Avengers universe. I think it's really hard to talk about any Avengers solo team book, uh, solo member of the team book, without talking about Immortal Hulk, which uh, sold out its omnibus in pre-orders. Sold out its gift set complete trade collection in pre-orders. Immortal Hulk, for all of the controversy uh, surrounding some of the creative team, really has survived in a way that so few titles have two years later. I put Immortal Hulk on the shelf with David Aja's Hawkeye um, as a book that really is the pinnacle voice of this character. And I do say it's David Aja's Hawkeye because I know it's Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, but, you know, we all really associate it with that Aja look, right? Uh, if I have a positive, it's that JMS being back in the Marvel Cinematic Marvel Universe, uh, you know, kind of paralleling his work on the Marvel Cinematic Universe is pretty necessary. That said, uh, my ding is Immortal Hulk bores me a little bit. It's interesting. It's cool. It's fun. It's a take on Thor. But... I kind of think it's going to be one of those things that I want to read and trade, which is the way that I actually read uh, Immortal Hulk. So I don't know that I can talk about Immortal Hulk as a monthly title the way I can about Immortal Thor. Uh, but my positive here is probably ultimately Immortal Hulk. And my negative is Immortal Thor. <laughs> Sorry, Al Ewing. <laughs> How do you guys feel about the uh, current state of the Avenger solo titles? Uh, it's a it's kind of a good, bad, and ugly thing. I think like I love Alyssa Wong's uh, Captain Marvel. I think that's really just getting fired up. But I can also tell that we are not leading up to this. Is you know the last Captain Marvel run got fifty issues and crossed over with the X Men and told like the next generation of Brood story. I don't Still think good. Alyssa Wong is getting that, and I, I think it's unfortunate because Alyssa Wong is one of my favorite writers at Marvel. Uh, this cap run, really exciting. Um, I, it's just getting started, so I don't know. Um, the Immortals, Hulk and Thor, it's like, they're, they're, they're great. Um, great writers, everything great. Like you, I think I'm just gonna, it's just gonna be trade for me, and not a bad way, it's just like, I there's so much noise and so much stuff happening throughout the lines every week. I mean, like more than 13 books that I read came out this week. So, you know, sometimes it's just like some things have to go. And, and when they're really cerebral, when it's Al Ewing, who's like, I'm going to galaxy brain you and like bring the Kabbalah into it. I'm like, OK. I'll read this all at once in one sitting where I can bring out my, you know, copies of the Zohar and the Sefer Yitzira and like get all my references together. I think that's fun to do, but sometimes week to week I'm like, oh, I forgot that they folded space and went into the other universe and ascended to a higher plane and met God. The real one. Uh, also, so, but you know, it's, I have to it, remember it something be... from my bar mitzvah because evidently that is a right. necessary element of this book. 
exactly. It can be a little tough to do that. Doesn't mean the writing is bad. Just means week to week. Can't balance that in my head and all the places that Kitty Pride is off beheading people. So I stick Thor in the to read Al at once panel. I completely love that take on all of this. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about the fact that there are books that are kind of exhausting simply because you have to put in the amount of work. You know, I switched my vote from Captain America by JMS to Immortal Hulk in part because as much as I am enjoying Captain America, I do kind of have to remember that JMS is best known in terms of Marvel for his cinematic MCU tie-ins. You know, his take on Thor ultimately winds up being the version of Thor that informs the films, and he goes on to work on the treatment. I'm very excited about JMS coming back to Captain America, but it is sort of like somebody who doesn't understand the current state of the Marvel Universe painting a painting in the Marvel Universe. It never quite looks like everything else going on around it, you know, and as excited as I am. I do think Immortal Thor and Immortal Hulk are a little bit more the lifeblood of the Marvel Universe. And I think while Immortal Thor is harder, Immortal Thor is harder to follow month to month. You know, Immortal Hulk really provides a backbone for their reimagining of what an omnibus run can be. Right. You know, Jonah, you're somebody who goes in and reads those sort of omnibus runs. I know you've actually been working on the Aja Hawkeye recently, uh, in part because, you know, as like a a family, we share an unlimited. So I know what you're reading. But, uh, you know, is there something about the state of an Avengers uh, solo run that attracts you to it? Is it a unique voice? Is it a unique unique art style? What is it that pulls you to an arc of Avengers? So I think it's a little bit all of the above. I love what we talked about the solo X-Men titles. I think if you really like a character, you're often going to find something good there. I think for me, where I often like to see how the X-Men gel together, the Avengers are a little... Um, I don't know if I find their conflicts as interesting as I find the conflicts that you often find in X-Men titles. So I've seen them more in solo books, I think offers me the ability to get the characters that I do enjoy, you know, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Thor, you know, various Hulks, if you will, very much allows me to see those characters in ways that I get to enjoy them where I don't, they're not put in a situation where I don't always find their conflicts the most interesting. You know, and I think that's a really fair take on it. Something that I think the Avengers often has is a what's going on in Marvel at the time. I am so excited to have seen Monica Rambeau get her due in the Marvels this past month. And, you know, then Photon as a an element of Maria, you know, that was a really amazing switch. And I loved so much of what I got to see there. But it really is a representation of the Marvel Universe of the early 1980s, late 1970s, that you can see Monica lead the Avengers. That's not something that feels really true of like the 2007 Marvel Universe. And so I think, you know, what you're saying, the solo runs of the Avengers really inform the era. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I think that's kind of what we're looking at here, where, you know, Thor, as exciting as you are, dude, you're not running the Marvel Universe right now. No. But uh, to take a look at something that I kind of feel has not had so much has not had so much influence on the state of the Marvel Universe in quite a long time. The nature of Marvel and magic, it has been really important in the last five years, whether it's Strange Academy that I think has been the defining kids title 
for the Marvel Universe, especially in the absence of an X-Men title, whether it's Doctor Strange and the revamp there with the death of Doctor Strange, or it's moving Miles Morales to a more magical place by having him tie into Strange Academy, I think the Marvel Universe is paying a unique amount of attention to magic in the last couple of months, especially with things like Moon Knight getting so many tie-ins. Books like Moon Knight only get this many tie-ins at the height of a Moon Knight television show. I think this is the opposite. The Moon Knight television show heralded the Jed McKay age of Moon Knight, but it's Jed McKay's work on Moon Knight that has led to the success of the title, The Last Days of Moon Knight, and the uh, number of tie-ins and minis that have been going on in the last couple of months. How do you guys feel about the state of Marvel Magic? Noting that I left Ghost Rider, Daredevil, and Punisher for, like, the bad boys. This is just the Magic Boys. So what I love about the Magic Corner of Marvel is that Typical superhero stories are sci-fi, but here we're dealing with fantasy. We're dealing with magic. Magic is inherently more interesting because magic is limitless. You can make your own rules. You can make up whatever you want about it. Not that you can't do that with superhero stuff, but oftentimes you have to, you know, there are things that have to make sense. With magic, you can hand wave things because it's magic. It doesn't inherently make any sense. It's chaos. So I really love the Marvel magic corner. I think the lot of the magic rules history uh you know different stories in different areas we get are very fascinating and offer this kind of different perspective of the marvel universe that we often don't really get to see with the proper superheroes uh, i don't think anybody who's ever you know been on this show can ever sing the unsung praises of dr uh you know strange academy how much we love it how much we enjoy it i really enjoyed the death of dr strange event for the most part i there's a lot of fun things about magic and it often makes me a little bit upset that Marvel doesn't lean into it a little bit more. Granted, I understand why, but it'd be nice if they did. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I sort of feel the same way. Um, I I'm waiting for that great run to hit with Dr. Strange. Um, I think it happened, the closest thing that happened was Strange Academy, and I really would love them to pick it up for a season two. But again, I, I would love to switch things up with the writer. I thought, um, uh, why am I blanking on the name? Scotty Young. Scotty Young? Thank you. Um, I thought Scotty Young was a fantastic writer and did a great job. I just, uh, I think now it's time to hand the baton over. I think Alyssa Wong would do a really great Strange Academy. Uh, I, again, Alex Packnadel, I think, is somebody who seems to be writing kids and school really well. Uh, I would love to see Semester 2 go on. And I'd love to start seeing some of these other characters get uh, solo titles and to make the magic corner a little bit more like the X-Men, where it's like, there everybody has the x-men are all bound by their concern for 
mutants and the world of mutants and also how mutants interact with humanity and what mutants can do for humanity. Magic users are essentially the same. They're concerned about magic. They're concerned about other magic users, how magic interacts with the world and how they as magic wielders can can help humanity and help protect the world. So it can make sense that you would have a magical X-Force, the strike team that really has to go stop the dark threats before they come. The school book, the team that is just there to do kind of search and rescue, goodwill, healing, whatever. I would love to see a kind of expansion like that because we've got so many great characters, all of whom come to magic and use magic in different ways. Uh, and I'd love to pull back a little bit from some of the solo titles. Um, and I'm just looking, I just, I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard. And if there are people out there that are loving it, that makes me very happy. I can't get into Moon Knight. I just can't do it. It's a me thing. Nobody's doing bad writing. I don't have a critique. I'm just not gripped. I, uh, I moved it but, from the last slide because I am in the same camp. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know... This, the Scarlet Witch book is a really fantastic solo magic user book. I think one of the really unfortunate things is it, it isn't connected to, to this ecosystem here because this ecosystem here isn't cohering in any way. And I would just, I would love to see that happen. But Strange Academy was fantastic. This most recent uh, triptych of one shots was really fun. And I'm just so excited to get the next announcement. You know, I do just want to echo that, uh, me and my longtime collaborative partner, uh, Taryn. Uh, the two of us are ready to bring back amazing fantasy titles anytime Marvel is ready. Heck yes. I would love to bring it Heck back. Yes. Uh, Taryn, if you're with me, uh, I looked at you like you're in the chat, right? Uh, Taryn, if you're with me, I would love to bring it back as like a Marvel team up amazing fantasy title. Uh, you know, anyway, uh, that's it's just my art partner, so I'm always ready to go. But uh, to take a look at our next slide, Here's a corner of the Marvel Universe I give uh, 0.3 shits about. <laughs> Big space. Let me be honest. I don't care. I rarely I care. love that you don't even have a where it started. I didn't even bother. Can I be honest? I don't care. Like, I'll, I'll like a Guardians run. I love Christopher Cantwell, so I'm going to read Thanos. I, uh, I loved... Uh, Silver Surfer Ghostlight, I did not like the first issue. And then I read all five because TK said he liked it. So, and I loved it. Uh, Silver Surfer Rebirth, this bores, oh, sorry, Rebirth Legacy bores me. Uh, and I'm sure it bored other people the way um, Black Armor, Daredevil, whatever they called that miniseries, probably bored people yep. who didn't know that run, right? This is not yep. for me. Marvel's big space. You can keep all your space. I'm looking for some closeness. Um, and I do not get any sense of family from Marvel big space. But then again, the only side of DC I like is magic and space. So like, you know, it's not that I think these are bad books. It's not that these people aren't phenomenal. We've sung Al Ewing's praises nonstop all episode. Uh, this is just not my shit. Space. It's vast. You must and be a scientist. Maybe. I don't know if I am, but I am an engineer. And science and space go hand in hand together. Space adventures are, inherent, in my opinion, inherently cool, 
because you kind of just there are no rules you're going to a different planet you're going to a different you know galaxy you're going to a different whatever spaceships are cool everything about space is decently pretty cool I, but it is a very specific kind of appeal you have to kind of want to be into that you kind of have to want to be playing by various and fluctuating rules because not everything has to follow the same standard and if it does then it gets a little weird if every you know if every planet everybody looks like a human what's the point that's not as fun uh i don't really have a lot to say about space outside of a fun anecdote i was helping a friend organize some comics and just kind of um logging them in so for a list so he can have uh in his possession he does have a pretty good condition silver surfer number one. Oh no mm, i literally accidentally cool. unplugged my headphones uh, i heard he has a pretty good condition silver surfer number one Ooh, how fancy that's about it when i have, um, I have space Space, like magic to me, has all the potential in the world and is just sort of treading water right now. Uh, Eternals should be a space book. Um, the entire Shi'ar, the entire Shi'ar Empire, is a thing. Um, the Kree, the Scrolls. I mean, the list goes on and on. So the fact that we're looking at such a small selection. The Kotati, yeah, and the fact that um, this is another, like, why I'm so sad Krakoa's ending, because they established uh, Mars, and uh, they established Mars as Arako, and Arako as the uh, ruling planet of our solar system. Storm is the regent of the solar system. They create a very active spaceport, uh, and this all spun out of uh, their work in S.W.O.R.D., on the peak their spaceship that was doing a lot or their uh, space station that was doing a lot of intergalactic diplomacy uh so it really seemed like they were gearing up and and uh x-men red has nova like it really seemed like they were gearing up to do a big pull into space and maybe they still are but it has been slow to come and in the meantime i feel unfortunately books like this new guardians of the galaxy run have suffered because i just don't really see it tied to anything uh and um you know i actually for as messy as it was and as chaotic as it was uh empire was very cool it was a really big space operatic story um that that pulled in the Kree and the scrolls and the kotati and uh had big ramifications but then after that it was just like we're we're taking a break from space yeah it felt like marvel felt like you know what empire didn't have the bang they thought it would for their buck so they just pulled out as hard as they could very suddenly which is funny because it's just like, yeah, the reason that happened was because of COVID, not because it wasn't a good story. It just wasn't promoted well and shipped properly. Exactly. And it's the same thing. It's this. I mean, yeah, it also, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say the reason that it happened, but I should say I wouldn't have pulled out because of that. I would have said, okay, we, we got really stymied by this event. Let's right. try again. And it's the same thing where, uh, I don't think the Marvels failed because it was bad. It right. failed because there was no promotion because there the the strike happened, um, and so all this talk of like Marvel is reeling after this disaster. I really hope that's not the case, and I don't think it is because I'm not a very smart person. Like they know 
uh, this company that has focus groups and research, I have to imagine, understands that this movie didn't tank financially. It's such a good movie didn't uh suffer financially because david mendez has loved empire yes i i too really did love empire uh but yeah these things don't tank like that uh because they're bad they tank because shit happens in the world you know and speaking of things that i truly think are benefiting from the post-covid universe you know, on our last slide, from Marvel's Big Space to Marvel's Bad Boys, uh, you know, Aaron's Punisher really, really benefited from being in a post-COVID world. Devil's Reign really benefited from being in a post-COVID world. Oh, uh, man, I did not like Punisher number one. I do not love Saladin Ahmed's Daredevil as much as I like it a lot. I'm excited for White Widow, but now that they've said that Ghost Rider is going to be replaced by a new writer in March, I don't care anymore. Um, the state of Marvel's bad boys is such a, we drove them all way too far into the darkness that there is no coming back. And, uh, you know, the truth is, I am kind of a death cab man. I would follow them into the darkness. But I feel like what is happening now is very postal service. And they want me to see these characters from great heights. And the truth is, no. I pushed that metaphor as far as it can go. And these books running multiple years, each trying to do the same. This is a step too far. Marvel, you had the market cornered on cool bad boys. And now what you have is a weird weird section of the Marvel universe that I expect to be done within 12 issues. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to get too deep into not liking this Punisher. Um, I, it's a longer conversation to be had, but um, I just feel like we recreated the character that we spent such a long time getting rid of but in a way that like we did justice to the fact that uh he can't just be frank castle the punisher anyway it's a longer story but i'm not happy about that but his costume uh, is only incidentally the punisher it's just it's just a shield it's costume. just blast plates Ugh. um Daredevil, Daredevil. I feel like the I what I'm feeling right now is that I'm probably looking at a Jed McKay situation yes. where this will be a perfectly great run. But I don't. I just got off of a multi year experience with a crossover in the middle, and um, I I I'm just not getting the feeling here that that's what I'm supposed to be looking at. Uh, so you know, I don't. I and we again return to the problem of promotion and the solicits and everything. When you keep signaling to me that at any point you're going to tell me that a year from now, the next thing is coming. I'm always looking at your current stuff being like, Oh, but is this a, in a year from now, the reset is coming. 
because uh, I, I invest differently if that's the case. If you tell me I'm getting a six, every single one of these uh, Fall of X minis, I'm liking just fine. I have no problem with any of them. Like I said, don't editorially love the decision to, for them to exist, but I accept that that's the decision. I accepted that these books were coming out, and each one, I opened book one and said, no matter what, I'll be done with you in four months. That's it. Uh, with this Daredevil run, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if you say one really cool thing and I get really invested in this idea that I know would need 12 issues and then I find out two months from now that you're actually only getting 10, what am I supposed to do with that? And I know I'm getting an announcement at some point that's going to be about something six to ten months down the line so i can't invest until i know and it's just this weird exhausting cycle solid ahmed good writer this is a good run but it's suffering from this yeah uh, ghost rider is is uh a longer conversation as well um i'll be fine with it no matter what happens i don't i don't really want to do a new ghost rider new spirit of vengeance but uh, what I'm in for is a great horror writer writing a great horror story. And the fact that it, because it's Marvel and because it's serial storytelling, it has to then lead into something else. Uh, that is the thing I can accept the most. Ben Percy got 20 issues. That means that, and, and I knew he would. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I really kept thinking it was going to get canceled. Uh, but he got 20 issues. It's fine. Ghost Rider is one of those ones where it's really easy to kind of not care because you're like, it's Ghost Rider. Nobody, nobody cares. We're all just lucky to be here. His head's uh, just It's on very fire. different than X-Men. Exactly. It's very different than X-Men where you're like, I know something new is coming. I know a big announcement is coming. Nobody's making big announcements about Ghost Rider. So you just kind of sit and enjoy it. Um, I I think it's been a great run and I'm I'm just sticking with that. You know, Jonah, I know you don't really deal with the Marvel bad boys quite as much, but you did read a couple of the tie-ins to the Jason Aaron Punisher era. And I know that you stay tangentially aware of Daredevil through me. Is there anything about the Marvel bad boys current era that either has you excited or turned off? So the idea of the, ba of the bad boy in any media, we look at boy bands, we look at mostly just boy bands, that... The idea of following somebody who's the protagonist, whose moral compass isn't quite aligned on strictly doing the lawful good thing, can be quite entertaining, interesting, and different than your typical, you know, shung chis of it all, who are the choose good boys and follow the law to a T, and it's jolly, golly gee willikers, I can't go against anything, gotta do the, the right thing. I love getting shung chis on my burger. Ooh. I agree. But some of the Marvel bad boys leave a particular bad taste in my mouth for one reason or another. Daredevil, Daredevil doesn't really leave a bad taste in my mouth. It's just Daredevil often, I feel like, shouldn't say often, but hasn't really gotten, I guess, a ton in the past recent few years. It's kind of just been like, oh, Daredevil's here. Hi, Matt. Though this, it, I, I was talking to Nico about this cover, and this cover kind of upsets me because it's weird. Because this cover implies, well, it's either that Jen, Jen is mad at Daredevil, which can make sense. That's fine. She can be mad at him, or it's she doesn't know that Daredevil 
is Matthew Murdock. But have I imagine they're both lawyers in New York. They would have potentially come across cases against or with one another. So does she not does she not know that this is Matt? That's you weird. Know, Matt's had his uh his secret identity like magicked away so many times. I don't even know that Matt knows who he is when he puts on the suit. I have horns. Who am I? Horny. But Matt also also Jennifer, that's a blind man's cane. Don't break that. That's really that's not that's don't do that. That's not nice. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. I um circling back. <laughs> yeah. That's not nice, Jennifer. You have to pay that back. Part of the problem with Bad Boys is no fault through the character's iconography, no fault through any of the writers, no fault of anybody. Characters who follow a dubious moral alignment to do good or bad can often lead to certain crowds idolizing and really liking, and it unfortunately does put a sour taste in my mouth, and it really does sully a character. It's not really the character's fault, but it really is hard to disassociate a character from certain kind of hate groups when they really kind of try to idolize a certain kind of character. Yeah, I don't care if what you like is like a children's cartoon. If a bunch of Nazis like it, it ruins the fucking kid's cartoon. Yeah, so... It's really kind of applies to Punisher most of all, and it's unfortunate. Again, we talked about this a while ago. You can put Frank Castle in anything. You can do anything you want with Frank Castle. People who like the character of Frank Castle are going to read Frank Castle comics, regardless if it's called Punisher or not. So, do with that information what you will, Marvel. Um, uh, give us, Give us more dumb bad boys, like... Not to the scale of, like, Punisher or Matt or Ghost Rider. Give us people with, like, morally questionable judgment that have, like, zero stakes in anything. You know? I completely agree. You know, my positive here is that Daredevil was reset to a place where he's no longer literally a devil. My negative here is that Daredevil was reset after a really cool run that had some consequences. So... I think we kind of got to see what happens, you know, all said and done, looking at where Marvel, you know, the current era of Marvel started and where it's wound up has been a really important thing for me because you know what I've realized? I thought I was going into this episode, giving this era a C minus for where it started and where it's going. I think it's a B minus. I think a lot of my anger is from that. I didn't get what I wanted, which isn't the same thing as unfulfilling stories. I think I kind of got to save my money. You know, the average ongoing book costs you about $60, uh, $60 a year. The average miniseries, if it's between four and five issues, costs you between $25 and $30 a year. That's a lot of money to ask me to part with, uh, especially because, you know, miniseries tend to get a slightly higher price cost to, you know, justify the lower count, right? So, you know, we're not seeing books go down to six issues a year and go down to $30 a year. I'm not quite seeing halved for halved. I kind of got to take my space from some of these books. I think I got to invest more in Omnis and keep using my Marvel Digital Unlimited. But that said, these all sound like promising stories. But much like the image on the right currently on the screen, 
I know that if Jean is going to become the Phoenix again, she's going to rise from the ashes. And that Phoenix may be made of blood. But this actually uh, references a really cool era of Uncanny X-Men by Stephen T. Siegel, where Jean Grey was manifesting the Phoenix. And she actually manifested it in Alaska and left a Phoenix Raptor burned into some ice. So this idea, as much as it is a dramatic cover that I really appreciate, I feel like in a lot of ways it's actually referential of something in the past that is meant to show us that Jean can come out of this the other side. After all, what followed that run was Grant Morrison's new X-Men. So all said and done, I'm given this excitement uh, B plus. I'm given the reality a B minus. I do feel like I'm giving a lot of this source material, the Aaron run. Uh, Hickman, X-Men, uh, Zdarsky's early Daredevil. I'm giving all of that an A-. minus, So that it's kind of feeling like a lost run is... But I would love to get your guys' take. You know, is anybody else feeling pretty excited even if they're not feeling it right now and uh, the past was maybe a little stronger? Right? Where are you guys as we wrap this episode up? Go ahead, Jojo. Thank you. That was very sweet of you, TK. I... It's hard. You want to be hopeful. You want you want things to turn out for the better. You want things to be more interesting to your own personal taste. That's, I think, what everybody wants, is that the media that they enjoy and the universes they enjoy will create things that they will enjoy. I know eventually I will probably go back and there'll be plenty of things I'll love and there'll be plenty of things I might be indifferent to and there'll be plenty of things I don't like. It is hard to feel optimistic when right now it's, oh, we're still in this for a while. It's not like it's coming up on the horizon being like, okay, I can kind of get excited for what's to come because what's to come is still more of the same what's going on right now. It's hard to be like, yeah, be excited for after March. It's a little far away. You know, TK, you yeah, are my John, partner. Think, oh, I better say, you know, the rat, you know, the lead in, you know, you're my partner in all of this and uh, analyzing these books. And, you know, so much of what you think decides the trajectory of where we take this show. So how are you feeling looking at this slate, looking at where we've been and where we're headed? I think Jonah really nailed it with saying like we're in we're in the mud right now uh, and really being told with a lot of this stuff. It's going to be till March. And with other things, uh, we haven't announced the thing that is actually happening. <laughs> uh, this is we're in a we're in a tough place right now. Comics are ever changing. So that's cool. There will be another era that feels as good as Krakoa does. It's just tough. Cause like, I'm not getting any younger. You know what I mean? If the, if the next Krakoa takes 10 years, I'm going to be almost 50 and vibing with, uh, Dazzler is going to feel a little bit different at 50. I think not like I can't do it. It's just going to feel a little bit different. And, you know, I, I'm a young, almost 40 feeling my oats a little bit. And I sort of loved the, the feeling that the of solidarity and love that the Krakoan era made people feel. And I just, I still, I, I still have high hopes for stuff and I see plenty of good writing out there and plenty of reason to do exactly as you said, maybe not be like weekly ready to go on everything, but, um, 
seeing, oh, that mini is done. I'll grab it. What a great read. Uh, I, I'm ready for maybe a little bit more of that for a bit. And there's nothing I like, not pessimistically, but there's nothing that I'm just like, this is the future. And I am stoked about it, which just means that I'm chilling right now while I wait for that thing to come. It means you get to be a comics fan and not just a Marvel fan again. And like, that's something I'm sure. really excited about too. I'm excited to just pick up books and not worry about, Oh, yeah. if I don't pick up this book, am I going to understand the era? Am I going to understand Marvel as a whole? Uh, I'm reading more novels lately. I'm listening to more podcasts, right? So uh, speaking of podcasts, don't forget to check us out over on uh, cageclub.com slash X and cageclub.com slash HTML. Um, I'm grateful for super full, uh, super cool fucking fans like Tasty Cake. Uh, and I'm also grateful for super cool broadcasts like Saturday where we're bringing you a 24-hour styled Right, you're gonna check that out. Uh, Thanksgiving marathon, where you can find all sorts of cool Thanksgiving holiday media. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun on Saturday, and then as always on Sunday, you can check out our regular coverage of all your favorite reality and scripted TV shows. But as we wrap this up, does anybody have anything else to add to this awesome broadcast? Not Great me. Good job, everyone. All right, Jonah, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? You can find me at any social at Peak Jonah. Just P E A K. Well, we cannot wait to have you back. And until then, everybody go check him out there. And while you're at it, don't forget to give us a like and subscribe over on this channel at X's for Show. And speaking of X's for Show, we couldn't do this without our incredible producer and co host, Kevo. What is going on? Where can everybody find you? You can find me over on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K E V O R E A L L Y. Uh, it's been a blast watching you fools clown around. Uh, I'm excited to see the future of Marvel. As we all know, uh, I may be more a fan of the MCU than the comics, but uh, the comics shape the MCU in a lot of ways. It's a, it's a lot in Ouroboros, as it will. So who knows what's going to happen in the future, and we're in it together. And until then, uh, Teak, where can they find you? You can find me at TK Elemental. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me loving comics, loving TV, loving music, movies, musicals, video games, and more all over this channel. Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Don't forget to check me out over at Nico Action on Twitter, Instagram, and more, though I can't wait to not say Twitter ever again. You can also check out my music and arrangements over at SoundCloud at Nico J. Vasillo. I'm going to change that to Nico Action. What's your professional name, though? It's fine. Right. Uh, but until Eco next action. time, Rico action. But until next time, we got three things. Number one, you got to stay safe. Number two, you got to be brave. And number three, do me a favor, evolve daily. If you can do those three things, that'll keep you here with us. Uh, also, three more things like subscribe and comment. Right. Okay. Thank you. And uh, we will see you guys on Saturday. So 48 hours. You don't got to wait that long. Life's good. Oh, 72. Sorry. I guess life sucks. Well, we're not always math. good at math. But we do love you. So keep that in mind. That's my sign off.